I remember saying to him at the end of the interview, come on, tell me why you did it. What was your motivation behind committing these crimes? And I remember he, he t I remember him turning my head to look at me, shook his head like that and said, you wouldn't understand. The whole reason for going in search of Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt was to answer that question. It had been bugging Christian for the best part of 15 years, and the more I journeyed into his life, the more it had been bugging me too. Having met him, Juan didn't seem to be dangerous, he didn't seem unhinged or bad. But I know it's too simplistic to think that all criminals are. There seemed to be a normal, regular human inside him though. He asked how we were, he was polite, considered. In different circumstances, I might have gone for a beer with him. He's good company. Juan certainly knows how to hold the attention of a room and tell a story. But all of that was a far cry from the shy boy I'd heard about in Colombia, from his old friend Carlos. Juan Carlos was the most shy boy, who never stood out in any way, who did nothing extraordinary. He was almost apathetic. I'd heard the same thing when I spoke to Jairo in Miami. It was hard to talk to him and, and get him something out of his mouth. That's the way we knew him, shy. So who is the real Juan Carlos? Is he really shy? And when did he become this man sitting in front of me, the skilled confidence trickster? And why had he taken this path? In this final episode, I want to drill down into exactly what prompted Juan Carlos to become the person he is. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Con Juan, Episode 8, Why Become a Con Man? After several hours in Juan's company, I thought I'd got the measure of the man. When he was uncomfortable, he'd laugh and make a joke. When he remembered a fun moment from his life, he'd zone out and enjoy telling the story, reliving it almost. But now was the time to ask him why he'd become an international con man. So I cut to the point. Christian Plowman remembers the conversation you had really clearly, where he says, why do you do it, Juan Carlos? And you said, you will never understand. What did you mean? I think the only person who can, as I told you yesterday, the only person who can understand my life is me. Can you try and help us though, when you're saying you'll never understand? It's absolutely difficult to, to, to explain to you because I have several facets of my life, several epoch of my life. From, from where I come from to my survival to my crazy life to knowing that I live a life of a theater. I am hundreds of different characters. And so it's extremely complicated. So there is things that only I will be able to understand. At last, we were getting somewhere under the skin of Juan. But while I'm sure it's complicated, I hadn't spent two years of searching to not get a better answer. So, step by step, we walked through Juan's motivations. First, I asked him if he was driven by money. 
I wouldn't say I was in pursuit of money. I, I, I really don't care about money because the majority of the money that I have taken, I have given it to people who need it. Um, I'm a very simple person, you know. Um, it was more at the beginning survival and then remembering what has happened to me when I was a kid. And I will say it was revenge. Against, you know, revenge for who? Against the rich people. Those ones who have so much and cannot even give a little. We've heard that Juan fancied himself as a kind of Robin Hood figure before. But what did he mean, revenge against the rich people? What had they done to him? In my case, it was personal. Something personal, something that really in my country um, when I was a kid happened, something to me that uh, marked me for the rest of my life. Tell us about what that was. <laughs> uh, I was living, I, I was traveling. I used to travel because when I left home, uh, I was living in the streets. And I used to travel the entire country. And one day I was really hu uh, hungry and uh, there was in the road, in the interstate, like let's call it interstates, uh, there was a restaurant and I saw a family eating but they did. They finished, but they didn't even actually touch the food. They have just probably eat one or two spoons of the thing. So I went to the lady and asked because there was like a type of a balcony, you know, and asked the lady if if I can get some of the food. And that woman started screaming and throwing, you know, things in the food so I cannot touch it. And then the the the, the bar, the the attendant the came over and told me to please leave. So I left, and that marked me for the rest of my life. A life of poverty had clearly affected Juan. But when he was a young boy, he'd blamed his mother, his home life. He said that's what he was running away from. When I asked him now, he had some kinder words to say. I respect my mother. She, in her way, she tried to give us the best. But sadly, we came from a country that you cannot afford it to give the best, you know. Single mother, three children, poor, you know. She tried to do her best. I respect that. I took my decision when I was very young. I faced my decisions. I don't regret them, but I respect them. From all of Juan's conversations, it was clear that he had a vendetta against the rich. A criminal life born from the angst of being someone with nothing. It's logical, and I can understand it to some degree. But not everyone in poverty goes on to be a criminal mastermind, or continues long after their life needs have been met. Juan repeated his belief more than once that his crimes were because of feeling wronged, insulted, inadequate, because of his poor upbringing. In fact, when Juan spoke about his moral code, it was all about targeting the rich and protecting the poor. Do you have rules? Do you have a rule book of things that you do and don't do? Mm, yes. Ta I do have. Talk me through the rules of Juan Carlos. My personal rules is never hurt a person. I don't believe in hurting a person. Never steal from a poor person or a worker. Somebody who works an entire month to make their salary and then take it from that person. That I don't do it. I, my rule is take from the very rich, from the rich who don't need it. 
So at the end, I am not causing them any harm. You know, because, okay, come on. Do you think the Baharini man who I took the watches in London, do he needed the 20 or 30 or 50 or 100,000 pounds that I took from him? He's a billionaire, you know. And does that make it, that's okay? Yes, of course. I'm helping him spend more money buying a new one. Of course. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's like moving the economy. Why should I feel sorry for a person who have millions and millions? Is there a reason to feel sorry for them? Even with robberies, there's yeah. some things that you won't take. Yeah. Explain that to me. There are things that I will not take and that there are things that I will not talk about. I have found photos, I have found documents, I have found videos, I have found things like that that I will say, oh my God, if this come out publicly, I will make a lot of money. Instead of taking the money, I just take this. But why should I do it? Who am I to go and destroy the life of a person that I'm taking from? And that is that person's... It's not my right to do it. I take the money. The money is something that the insurance will pay it. But if I go and show that, will the insurance cover it? Tell I me will about... be a complete bastard if I do something like that. But there'll be lots of people that listen that will say, you say that you respect people's privacy at the same time as entering their hotel room unwantedly and going into their safe, so... Yes, but it's, it's not the same. I'm taking money. But I'm not, I, there, are, there are things inside those safes or around that are so private to that person that I wouldn't even touch it. And there are situations that I have seen things and I have had things in my hand that I say, no, this is out of, out of limits. This is, it's like that case. I say, this is out of limits. I don't want to have nothing to do with this. This is the private person that can or destroy a person or a family or something like that. So I prefer just to leave it right there. So Juan does think about his victims. But while Juan might have the best intentions, they don't always work out. After all, Daniel Gold told me that some of the jewellery stolen from his hotel safe was sentimental. What I didn't appreciate when she was, when it was all going on was, you know, she had family things in there that her mother and her grandmother had given her that is irreplaceable because even if you buy the exact same thing again, it's not the same thing. And even the experience of being robbed caused distress to him and his wife. There are so many people's lives were affected. People's lives can get shattered within seconds on the back of what this man did. These aren't victimless crimes. But I do think that Juan has made himself believe that they are. I told him about my meeting with Robert Coburn in Las Vegas, the hotel manager who unwittingly gave Juan a key to Daniel Gold's room. He panicked that he would lose his job when the truth came out. The stress of being responsible and unable to fix the damage was extreme. And when Juan heard this, well, he seemed surprised, as if he didn't realise that there would be collateral damage. Uh, we spoke to a hotel receptionist who gave you a key yeah. in Las Vegas yeah. for one of the big robberies that you did in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And he went home that night believing he was going to lose his job because he was the one that gave you the key and facilitated your crime. And it affected him. To that, that type of person, I apologise. Yes. But they have to understand that it's not their fault because it's what the training they give them. 
Juan's career is making money, or taking money. And we've discussed why there might be a particular burning desire for him to do that. It's a result of his poor upbringing. But becoming a con man isn't a career path that anyone can just set out upon. I wanted to know why it had been something that escalated for him, and why he, amongst all of his peers in the criminal world, had become so exceptional at it. And Juan told me that, like most things, it started with an education of sorts. i tell you something. When I was 17, I was sent to the best criminal university in the world, which was the US federal system. So the truth I'm not what I wanted to be, and I am what they wanted to be. Because when you send a kid to prison, what do you expect that kid to learn? What did, Just, you, what, what did you want to be? Oh, I will have been many things. Imagine if I have perfection teething around so perfectly. Imagine what would I be? <laughs> did you have ambitions? If I have ambitions now. What well, did you have? Because the person you are now is not who you I wanted tell you, to be. I, I tell you something. If you, if you see somebody, if you take a diamond, a diamond came, never comes completely polished. It's rough. You have to polish it. So what did they did? They put me in a prison to get that diamond cut and polished. What do you expect? You know, a couple of criminals in here, another cut right here, you know, drug traffickers, assassins. What do you expect? They should pray, you know, they should give thanks to God I'm not a killer. Because I could be killing people in here over there. It's so easy to move from me to from one country to another. If I want to traffic drugs, I will be what, what Pablo Escobar at this time, because I know every hole in every airport around the world. You know. They should be thankful that I'm not doing those kind of things. If I was a terrorist or Osama bin Laden told me, hey, can you put me this bomb over there? I would be able to take it from Afghanistan all the way to New York and nobody would even find out I was there. That's a scary thought. But it's the cruel reality. I was stitched by the best. And who put me in there? The government. I didn't go there voluntarily. My crime was to enter a country illegally for such a horrific crime, I was sent with the best of the best. So it's their own fault, it's not mine. I am doing what I was teach. Excusing himself from his actions, that's another thing which crops up a lot. And I struggle to accept that Juan was driven by money and redressing the balance. Years into his career, he's made more than enough to live out his days in luxury. But he hadn't stopped. Not the motivator. At the beginning, yes, was survival, and as I say, and then was just the adrenaline. Really, the last few years has been just the adrenaline of. You enjoy it? Of course. Come on, it's just adrenaline. It's like the people who like to jump in a bunch of jumps or something like that. Is it still? I mean, I understand what you're saying. That there's adrenaline, but there's adrenaline mixed with. You can go to prison. You can get arrested, or your life can disappear. So that's the, 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 the adrenaline. Okay, do you think the person who jumps from a parachute or a little court in there, they can break and just die down in the little river down there in the, between the rocks? It's the same thing. It's just the adrenaline. It's adrenaline. Poverty plus a criminal education led to Juan becoming an international thief. And then the addiction to the thrill of it had kept him on the wrong side of the law. Was that the whole truth? Well, not quite, because... If you remember, when Juan was jailed in the US for crossing illegally into Vermont, 
he told a judge that his sexuality was to blame. So how much had that had a bearing on his decisions? One of the sort of the stories that I've heard is that because of your sexuality, you didn't feel comfortable or accepted or um, allowed to be who you wanted to be in Colombia. Is that the case? Would you want to unpack that for me? I tell you something. Colombia is a wonderful country. Colombians, the great majority of the people are wonderful people. The great majority. It's been such a long time I don't visit that country. Very long time, maybe probably 20 years or something. Um, But it's not just that at the time it was not accepted. Now I believe it's different. Even the laws have changed. You have same-sex marriages in Colombia and all this. I don't know. I, I don't live there. I have no contact with the country. Um, but back in the days, I had a very rough time when I was there. I was a prostitute in there when I was a kid in there and all this stuff just to be able to eat. So that's why I like close myself in that part of my life, dark. That was my dark age. One thing I asked quite often was, how did Juan make friends? We heard from Julian in episode six, someone he met while traveling. And Julian told me that Juan had lied about who he was, claiming he was an ambassador's son. He said that he was a um, ambassador, ambassador's son. Or, yeah, he was an ambassador's son. um, And he was just exploring around. He had lots of money, no problem. So don't worry about it. So no one really questioned that. Julian had felt let down because he didn't really know who his friend was. I felt a little bit sad because um, he was a good friend. And, um, but he was just kind of totally a fake person. And Juan admitted to me that he had been lonely throughout his life. The major part of my life I've been alone. I can be around 50 people, but I'm totally alone. Is that because of all your secrets? Probably, yes. And how do you feel about that? Because we move through life with, with people around us who make us happy, we share experiences with. Yeah, but when you are in that situation, you feel wonderful because you feel like you are James Bond in the middle of the thing, you know? I love that, that feeling, you know, like of being, knowing that you, you are something, you know, but the people around you doesn't know, you know, they think you are something totally different. And I actually enjoy the fact that, as I was telling you, my life has been a complete show. So, does that, when you are alone, does that make you sad? How, how does it make you feel? I think we all have, personally, I believe that. We all have our times when you are up or down. And when you are alone, you have that time to release all that. Or you can be really up there, laugh of the things that you have done, or be down there and regret things. But majority of the time, I take that time for myself to be me, not to be somebody else. So I, I heard that when you were in, in New York, or it's the, the story as it's told to me, is that you're, you're there and you have a realisation that you have everything because you've got yeah. money, tickets, jewels, whatever you want, yeah. access to all those things, but you have no one to share it with. Exactly. 
And that didn't, you, you didn't like that? It, every, as I tell you, everything gets to a point. And to me, it has happened before many times. But has been moments like I was that time that I was in New York and I look around of the luxurious place that was at that moment that I have absolutely everything and, and say like, I'm alone. There is nobody else to laugh with. There is nothing, you know, there is not uh, an important person, that other person that everybody would like to have. But Juan also said that he had a close circle of friends. I have very few friends who know of my name. How many? Six. Six? Mm. No, seven. They know what you do. So <laughs> talk me through that process of telling them, actually, they, by the way, I've got a secret to tell you. <laughs> they are not the type of people that you will expect to hang around a criminal or that to have a friend who's a criminal, let's call it like that. Uh, and because they come from different and mainly up here type of life, uh, they, some of them took me some time to trust them and let them know like, look, this is who I am. Another one, the one who's a really great friend of mine, I told her from the beginning, look, this is what I do. And what are their reactions? Always has been the same reaction. Really? You have to tell me this. Come. <laughs> I just go, have a drink and he start laughing and I just telling this story and they were like, really? You are? Oh my God, no. <laughs> and how do you make friends? Um, as I told you, I'm not the kind of person who have to live in luxury. I'm the kind of person who is a really normal person. I stay a lot in youth hostels. I like to talk to people, to share with people. And when you are in a youth hostel, have to, a wonderful thing that you just sit in there with your beer or in the breakfast and the people just say, oh my God, I'm going to Paris. You have to go here, you have to go there and you have to watch this. And that's how you start making a conversation and start making friends. So you prefer to spend time when you're traveling in a youth hostel rather than a nice hotel? Yeah. But you can afford... Of course I can afford it, but I prefer it because it's, it's real life. It's, it's, it's where you, real, you, you meet real people. Across the whole interview, Juan was open with me, apart from on one detail. The only time he clammed up and didn't want to chat was around his love life. I mentioned Alfredo, the man I'd learned he'd been with and perhaps planned to marry in Mexico. I want to talk to you about... Uh... Somebody called Alfredo, who I believe you were in a relationship with at one point. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, was, was that, is, just without going into any detail, was that an ex-relationship? A, a, a an ex-relationship, yeah. Okay. Because um, I remember hearing from, from the people that we've spoken to that you were, you were very happy and you were thinking that that was going to be the end of your, your criminal career at that yeah. point. Yeah. Is that the case? It could have been the case, but, well... So Alfredo had failed to keep Juan on the straight and narrow. But then Juan told us some surprising news. He'd met someone else. At the moment, I just enjoy my life. I got married and living my life. You've got married? Yeah. 
Wow, Foundation. Can you tell us about it? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was one of the agreements. Do not talk about me. <laughs> okay. Can you tell us about your wedding, how, what your wedding was like? Normal, we just went to the... Uh, give the papers, then they tell us this day you can get married. We went over there, just the three of us, we sign and that's it. Juan's new husband had asked him not to talk about them in any detail. But from the things that Juan did tell us, they seemed like a pretty normal couple. Going about domestic chores, living their life. Juan's husband has a job. It sounded very much like Juan had settled and he was happy. Do, do you notice a change in you? from when you're single and travelling, committing crimes, to when you're happy and in a relationship and now married? Absolutely, my God. I can, even myself, I amaze myself that I'm in the same place for months and months, you know? <laughs> when I'm the kind of person who could be here today and tomorrow and somewhere else in the world. And even myself, I have, I'm amazed myself that I actually stay in one place and, you know, living this type of normal life and actually enjoying it. Is he a regular working guy, has a job? Does he come from a rich background, a poor background? Can you give us some he's, sense of... He's uh, the type of person who is law-abiding, who uh, never c- committed a crime. is absolutely the opposite, you know. How but he's he... a wonderful person. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine he may feel... It's intriguing, exciting, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bit James Bond, like you say, or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. And there's money, I'm sure, which means you can have some nice things if you want to do all of that. I, I expect he doesn't want you to go to prison again. Yeah. So has he, has he insisted that you stop? Yeah. Ex- explain how that conversation went. Uh, no, before we got married, he just, uh, like, I went to prison. And then when I came back, he told me, that's it. This is the last time. Point. I waited. Let's get married, let's settle down, or turn to another way. Is that a difficult decision? No. No, 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 no. So it's that easy to stop? That if someone says, yes. stop and we can get married or carry on, you can just stop like that? Yeah. What about the adrenaline rush and the annoying the Americans and all of the things you said? Well, there's something that you can do in the future, you know, just like to annoy people, but you know, it's something that I wanted. You know, and I get it. So you're happy now? Yeah. Does that mean that you weren't happy before? Different happiness or...? It's absolutely different happiness. It's, it's two different words, you know. It's, it's two different things, totally. If Juan's telling the truth to us and his new husband, then his life of crime is over. So what does he do with his spare time now? What's domestic life like for you? What do you what's a typical day in the life of Juan Carlos? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I wake up always at 6 o'clock in the morning. I walk 20 kilometers a day. Don't ask me why, but I just got that since I was a kid. To walk, I love that. I probably will read, you know. Uh, we go. I have a normal life of a, a married person. And do you like to travel? Yes. And when you travel, how do you travel? Because in some countries, I expect you can't travel with your name. So does he accept that... If yeah. you travel, you have yeah, to yeah, use yeah, one yeah. of your yeah, yeah, yeah. not legitimate passports. Yeah, They are legitimate. Of course, I have everything is legitimate. Everything is original. It's not fake. Just not you. Is my photo on them? Come on, it's me. You cannot go and say, like, this is Queen Elizabeth. No, this is me. 
you said you were in America a few months ago. Yeah. You visited the UK recently. Yeah. I was there... in New Zealand. I was in Australia. And I was in Doha. <laughs> Are there any countries you won't go? No. Yeah. Probably. You said Austria said to you, like, you can't come back here for 10 years. Yeah, but that, that's something they tell you, but it's their portal. I can cross with any other passport because they don't go taking fingerprints from the people in the streets. No. You just can, they will look at another name, another date of birth, and they go, okay, this person has no problem, keep going. So you'd have no issue going back to Austria or...? Yeah, I have no issue. On the first day, we asked Juan outright whether or not his criminal career was over. And his answer was interesting. Yes, your, your line of work continues. No, 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 no. You're retired. I'm not saying I'm retired. Of course <laughs> not. I have heard that in many basketball players and football players. I'm one of that group, you know. I retire, but tomorrow I'm back. Retired, but prepared to go back to work tomorrow. I thought I'd give Juan the last word in this series, a chance to talk to some of the people that I'd met. Did he have any messages for the people he'd met through his life? The people that had shaped his life? His victims? His friends? The police officers who had chased him? This is what Juan had to say. What would you say to Jairo and, and Bertha Lozano? I, think I would be thankful always to the Lozano family. What would you say to David Iverson, the lawyer who tried to help you? The same. He tried his best? Yes. And he didn't have to? Of course, he, had, he didn't have to. What would you say to Kirk Sullivan? Burning hell, motherfucker. <laughs> I know. Why does he upset you so much? He doesn't upset me. Come on, I have better things to do in life. Come on. But he's a person who have spent, what, 20 years, I think, so already? And he's still thinking of me. That's something crazy. I don't know. And lastly, what message would you have for Christian, the police officer who sparked us to doing this? I, th I, think, I, I think I would like to meet him. I would like to speak to him directly and share all this experience because I was quite shocked when I heard his, his, his message, you know, like, I was thinking totally different way about him. Before we finished, I asked Juan once more if his days of crime were over. What does the future hold for Juan Carlos? Future is something that you cannot predict. That's ambiguous. Absolutely. Life is ambiguous. I don't know what I will be doing tomorrow. Maybe I will be dead after I walk out of this place, you know? <laughs> so I don't know. You have to leave the moment. So can you promise listeners, people that are interested, the police who I'm sure might be listening, can you promise the Dorchester, yeah? Can you promise that your days of crime are over? No. How can I promise such a thing? Have you told us the truth? Yes. You've been honest with us. Mm -hmm. The whole truth? And nothing but the truth. <laughs> when episode one of Con Juan was ready to be released, I sent Juan a message. We'd exchanged a couple of texts since recording. But this time, he didn't open my message. I've called a couple of times and I've sent a couple more now that the series is out. I want him to know and I'd promised to keep him updated. He'd asked us to. But he's not read those messages either. Perhaps he's off enjoying his honeymoon. Or perhaps the retired life didn't really suit Juan after all. 
I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this series. And if you have, please leave a rating and a review. This can make a massive difference to help other people find the show. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, because in the coming weeks, we'll be launching some extra bonus episodes from our time with Juan Carlos. Con Juan is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Daryl Brown. Music is supplied by KPM Production Music and Universal. The executive producer is Sophie Ellis. And our consultant, the man who kicked off this journey, is former detective Christian Plowman. What's the Story Sounds is the home of great storytelling. And if you want to listen to more What's the Story content, you can visit our website at whatsthestorysounds.com. And you can subscribe to What's the Story Plus, where you'll find ad-free content, bonus episodes, and you'll get exclusive access to episodes and series before anyone else. You can find all the details on Apple Podcasts.